Uh, my name is Wes Holmes, one of the pastors here, uh, preaching this morning, bringing the word to us, because Pastor John is preaching the word at our sister church down in Harriman. Uh, so we're grateful that we have that connection with other uh, Bible-believing churches in this valley as our common witness to Christ together goes forth. Uh, but we're continuing in our series through the book of Ruth. We just began in Ruth last week. And so Pastor John preached on just the first five verses. Uh, he gave me the rest of the chapter <laughs> to lead us through. Uh, so we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 uh, to the end, verse 22. Uh, so let's give ear to the reading of God's word. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight, then give, gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said, told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. So may the words of this preacher's mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the name of our redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Home is where the heart is. Where is home for you? Is it where you have work? Is it where your house is? 
Is it where your family lives? Maybe home for you is a deeply painful topic. Perhaps you're homeless. Or you feel like you don't have a home, some place where you belong. Have you moved around so many times that maybe you aren't even sure where to call home anymore? Home is meant to be a place of comfort, of joy, of security, and peace. A place of love and deep connection, mutual care one for another. But even the best earthly home will fail to be all that it's meant to be. And many homes are broken by deep conflict, abuse, poverty, sickness, and death. We can understand why Naomi was so bitter, because she lost her home. And some of you here this morning know all too well the bitterness that comes when your home has been deeply broken. So what hope exists for us? That's what I want us to think about together this morning. That's what this passage actually points us to. Because what you need to know this morning is that God provides a home that nothing in all of creation can ever take away. A home in his unfailing love. And so as we consider this story, this first chapter of Ruth together, we'll let three points guide us. First, bitterness. I feel it. Second, hope. May we see it. And the third, unfailing love. May we put our trust there. Bitterness, hope, unfailing love. The main point is this. The Lord brings both blessing and bitterness so that we might learn to hope in his unfailing love. The Lord brings both blessing and bitterness so we might learn to hope in his unfailing love. So let's take a look at bitterness. It's Naomi's new name, apparently, Mara. <laughs> it means bitterness. <laughs> um, but let's remember what she's been through. She left her home in Bethlehem because of a famine. She traveled with her husband and two sons to a foreign land. Her sons then married foreign women, which is actually a <laughs> kind of a faux pas in Israelite culture. And then, suddenly, all the men in her life died, leaving her and her daughters-in-law as widows. She came to this foreign land, Moab, for fullness, in hope of something, but all that she got was bitterness. And so our passage this morning begins with Naomi, but she hears this good news that the famine in Israel is over. And so she decides to return to the land of Judah. But her deceased son's widows decide to follow her. Their presence is likely very painful for Naomi, just serving as these living reminders of the grief and loss that she has suffered as well. So she tells them at least three times in our passage, go home, <laughs> just go back, just leave. It, it actually kind of reminds me of the scene in Shrek, do you remember this, if you've seen the movie? When Shrek first meets Donkey, <laughs> he, he rescues Donkey, Donkey from Farquaad's soldiers, and Donkey is very excited to have what he considers to be a friend, um, and he really wants to stick with Shrek. 
But Shrek just wants to be alone. Go away, donkey! You know, he says. <laughs> I imagine Naomi, though, is, as she's facing this deep darkness in her soul, she doesn't want her daughters-in-law to suffer the same kind of fate, uh, to endure the kind of grief that she's enduring. And it's funny that even when she returns to Bethlehem, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And this is where Naomi's bitterness reveals a complicated dynamic because God is involved and she knows it. Naomi repeatedly in this passage points to the sovereign hand of God as the ultimate deciding factor of her misfortune. In the ancient biblical book of Job, when Job's wife sees all the afflictions that Job had suffered, she counsels him to curse God and die. And then Job responds with this, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Likewise, God says to the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. We're navigating in deep waters now. And we have to be careful. <laughs> we have to be careful as we seek to understand this reality. Because despite what we might be tempted to think, God is only good. There is no evil in him. He does not tempt us to sin, nor can he. And yet, the Lord is also the supreme sovereign over all things, great and small. Nothing happens apart from his will, whether beautiful or painful. God is the very definition of righteousness and justice. And so we, as his creatures, have no right to stand in judgment over the judge of all the earth. And so we have to be careful. Because when our hearts are filled with bitterness, it's easier said than done. <laughs> Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, the Lord's hand has turned against me. She says to this buzzing town of Bethlehem, they're excited to see her, she says, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's interesting that this term afflicted here actually is better understood as testified against. Naomi feels that the Lord has testified as in a legal trial against her. So Naomi here in her bitterness has come to believe in many ways that God has cursed her. So in one way, it's true that the Lord's hand was against her, right? He is the sovereign one. The God of her people brought calamity into her life, and she is bitter. What about you? Do you see the hand of God in the difficulties and trials that you are facing? Or do you see your suffering as just a random, meaningless mishap? Perhaps, on the other hand, do you see God as an unjust master, finding some kind of cruel pleasure in your pain? 
I know personally just how easy it can be to find yourself in a place where you are angry with God. To be bitter toward him because of what you perceive as his bitterness toward you. But is this the right way to think of God? We can all too easily find ourselves angry and standing in judgment of God, charging him with being unkind, uncaring, and unloving, especially when the trials are deep. I wouldn't doubt that Naomi felt this way in her heart toward the Lord, especially during this season of her life. She was seeing a bitter providence at the time. But maybe God wasn't ultimately against her. If she could see the whole story, like we do, she would know, even in the midst of her calamity, that God was preparing something far greater for Naomi than she could ever have imagined. And that brings us to our second point, hope. Because even though Naomi felt that God had turned against her, we see that she still had hope. She heard about how God had blessed his people with bread in Bethlehem. And instead of just drowning in her sorrows and staying in Moab, she picks up. She makes the trip back home with this glimmer of hope that maybe she too might experience some of God's blessing. Maybe she's not completely cursed after all. But then there's the matter of her daughters-in-law. They just get up and follow her. (laughs) What should she do with them? I mean, first, she actually commends them. She's grateful for them, for the faithfulness that they showed to her sons when they were alive, the love that they had shown to her. She even goes so far as to compare their love with the love of God. It's that word kindness here that's actually the Hebrew word chesed, which refers to God's covenant, faithful, steadfast love. So Naomi is thinking, okay, just best to send them home. It's it's a better place for them to be. She sends them with with a blessing from God for a new husband, for a new life, but they want to stay. Perhaps the daughters aren't sure what they're even doing. They're just kind of following Naomi out of impulse, a a shared sense of grief together, having all been widowed. But they clearly see something, something good in Naomi that makes them want to stay with her. But Naomi insists, speaking as one who is deeply grief-stricken, arguing that she has no hope to marry or to have sons again. She says... Quite sarcastically, even if I did, would you wait for them to grow up and then marry them? (laughs) What she's really saying is, there's no hope in me for you. So it's really reasonable, actually, for the daughters-in-law to go back to their own land. It's what they know. It's what they're familiar with. It's their culture. It's their family home. We wouldn't think twice if they both decided to return to Moab and to their families And the story would have ended right there. But then something surprising happens. 
Ruth clings to Naomi. And it's interesting here, too, that the word cling is actually the same word that's used in Genesis 2, where it's written, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, or cling, to his wife. Unlike Orpah, Ruth binds herself to Naomi with this depth of faith and hope, a kind of covenant that she makes with her. And why Ruth did this? when everything around her was pressing her to return to Moab, we don't exactly know. But we can affirm that God, the sovereign God, was orchestrating this moment, giving Ruth eyes to see something through the bitterness, through the grief that she was experiencing. She was able to see past not only her, but Naomi's bitterness, And she hoped against hope, not ultimately in Naomi, but in Naomi's God, with that beautiful declaration that she made in verses 16 and 17. I'll read it again. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Wow. Thinking about this, these events and what Ruth said here, it's kind of reminiscent of a story in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke where there was this group of ten lepers. If you recall the story, there were ten lepers who came to Jesus. They were seeking his mercy. They were seeking healing. And Jesus actually just goes and sends them and says, go show yourself to a priest. And they're all healed on their way. <laughs> One of the cleansed lepers, a Samaritan, foreigner, returns to Jesus and falls at his feet, giving thanks. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. It's interesting that when Ruth gives this amazing declaration of her faithful commitment to Naomi, Naomi doesn't say anything. Silence. But we can hear the voice of the Lord saying to Ruth, rise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's Ruth clinging to hope even when everything in her life was pointing away from the possibility of a home with the people of God. Where is your hope this morning? Are you having trouble seeing through the clouds of grief or pain? Are you wrestling with a bitter heart toward others? or toward God. Friends, don't get stuck in your circumstances. Don't let your hope be defined by what you're facing right now. But let your weeping lead you to its intended result, to hope in God, 
who promises not to make your life easy, (laughs) but to prepare a life better than anything you could ever imagine that is stored up for you in heaven according to his steadfast and faithful covenant love. So that leads us to our final point, unfailing love. Ruth didn't really know what she was getting herself into. (laughs) And in some ways, that's kind of the nature of faith. It starts very small, just an inkling. Faith doesn't know the future or have some kind of superhuman confidence that everything is going to work out just the way you want it to. Faith, it's taking a step toward God. It's learning to trust him to trust his character, to trust in his promises. But no one ever takes that step if God doesn't take the first step to open their eyes, to see who he is beyond all of our own natural nearsightedness. We just see what's right in front of us. Faith instead learns to look beyond the immediate difficulties and trials of life. Look beyond those things to a God who has worked wonders in the past and promises grace and mercy in the future. And here, this matter of faith meets both Ruth and Naomi. They're both facing their trials with faith, even as uncertain and perhaps broken as that faith may have been. I love the example of of Peter in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, Jesus had just been giving this very challenging teaching about his body and blood. He was saying, I am the bread of life. You must eat. The story in John 6 tells us that many of Jesus' disciples, upon hearing this challenging teaching, turned back. They no longer walked with him. So Jesus looks to the twelve, his apostles, and says, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Wow. Have you ever been, though, where Peter was? Challenged with deciding whether or not it's worth it to follow Jesus. When you get stuck between a rock and a hard place, where do you turn? Are you tempted to get angry? Blame God? Or just turn away from Him in coldness? But isn't it true, Christian, That once you come to know that Jesus is the Son of God, even with a mustard seed-sized faith, you know that Peter's answer is true. Where else can you go? Because you know that Jesus is the only one who is faithful to the end. He is the God of Naomi and her people. He is the sovereign Lord of all history, the promised one, who came through the lineage of Naomi and Ruth, of Bethlehem and Judah, 
the one who, when he faced his impending trial and crucifixion, cried out in anguish to his Father in heaven, asking if there was any way that this cup of suffering could pass from him, and all the while saying, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus faced the bitter suffering of the cross where the just anger of God for the sins of the world would come down upon his shoulders. Friends, Naomi felt cursed, but Jesus was cursed on that tree. Why? That you and I might be blessed beyond our wildest imagination, that we would have the hope of forgiveness, of eternal life, that he would bring us into the unfailing love of God as we follow him through the trials, through the valleys, to our heavenly land. Like Naomi led Ruth, Jesus leads us home as we cling to him by faith. And like Ruth, Jesus also clings to us so that even when we are weak, even when we tell him to leave, <laughs> he never lets us go. Friends, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and you will see the unfailing love of God for you, even when all of your circumstances seem to tell you otherwise. Run to Jesus, who takes the bitterness and sting of death itself and buries it in his tomb, triumphing over it by his glorious resurrection. Cling to Jesus, who is even now preparing a home for you where you can dwell with your creator in perfect joy and peace forever. It's not too late. You aren't too far off. Your sins are not too great that God cannot forgive. So come to him and he'll turn your suffering into hope. To wrap up, friends, remember that the Lord brings both blessing and bitterness so that we might learn to hope in his unfailing love. So as you're looking to Jesus by faith, brothers and sisters, may you find rest in the fact that your true home is yet to be revealed, a home where your heart will find fullness of joy, comfort, security, and peace, a home where genuine love and deep connection and mutual care are the enduring reality, a home that we hope for and long for in the loving arms of your faithful Redeemer God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we long for this home. Our hearts are slow to believe. We are weak, O oh Lord, and we desperately need you. 
So help us, Lord, as we cry out to you. Help us and meet us with the hope that we have in Jesus. Meet us with your unfailing love that we wouldn't get caught in our own circumstances or just caught in the present moment that is looking so bleak, perhaps. We ask, Lord, that you would lift our eyes, that we would see and know that you are with us, that you are for us, that even in the bitterness, you are drawing us close to yourself and preparing us for a home that will never fade, kept in heaven for us. We thank you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.